Get your gear ready. This is a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation. Welcome to a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation, a podcast dedicated to guiding you along your innovation expedition. This is Ben Tingey, Sherpa host extraordinaire. It is my extreme pleasure to welcome back our jobs to be done, Sherpa stars, Will Behrman, Jay Gerhardt, and Ann Summers-Hogg. How are we today? Great, great. Always excited to hear what your intro will be. <laughs> ben, how are you? <laughs> it was an exceptional intro. <laughs> I've been practicing all day. Five stars. Today's episode is a continuation of our Jobs to be Done theory discussion, this time much more focused on applying jobs in a healthcare context. And we recognize that not all of our listeners innovate in the healthcare industry, but we believe that seeing jobs theory applied in a complex environment like healthcare has uh, creative merit. Uh, And besides, all of us are healthcare consumers at some point. We appreciate all the engagement on Twitter from our listeners. As a reminder, you can ask us questions on Twitter using the hashtag InnovationEngine. And don't forget to provide a review and a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We're all pretty active on Twitter, so please don't hesitate to uh, reach out and start a conversation. So what is this episode's job to be done? Or stated differently, what progress do we want our listeners to make? Or in other words, what are our key takeaways <laughs> from today? Um, it should be pretty clear what, what we're going to say now. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so Jay, why don't you start? What's a, what's a takeaway for our listeners? Yeah, I think healthcare, you know, we're in an industry. We've been talking about consumerism for at least a few years now and, and uh, all sorts of systems and segments of the industry are, are wrestling with that and trying to be, become more consumer-focused. Jobs is a fantastic lens to help you shift from that provider, that physician and health system focus to squarely what the consumer's job to be done is. Excellent. Will, what well, take away? Yeah, and I think building off of that, riffing off of that, I think that uh, jobs theory and the framework is very helpful because it helps us then to integrate around that job. So the services, the products, the people all need to work in concert. Now they typically are built around how to be efficient and how to make it work well for the producer's standpoint, especially for legacy healthcare systems. With the jobs lens as um, – Jay was saying it focuses on the patient and their family and their needs. And so the next step for that is how do we integrate around it to meet their functional, emotional, and social needs in an integrated way. Great. And Summer's our third takeaway. I think my takeaway is going to build off of both Jay's and Will's, and that's that understanding the job to be done helps us create behavior change in the consumer. And as the industry moves increasingly towards value, that is a job to be done, the industry has. Great. And that's something that came out uh, when Jay and I attended the Mayo Transform Conference this past year when Clayton Christensen presented was that the ultimate disruption is when we're able to help people be healthier in the first place in their homes. Uh, And so, um, yeah, certainly relevant uh, for us to discuss today. So why, why do we think jobs to be done theory is so needed in healthcare? That's a good question. I I think I would start by saying, hopefully, after the last episode, people uh, or listeners think that jobs to be done kind of seems like common sense. Um, 
understanding why people do what they do and why they act the way they do and then tailoring to that uh, seems like it makes sense. But while it might be common sense, it's not yet common practice. So bringing that practice into healthcare is something that's uh, necessary. I would also say because of the robust view it gives you of the consumer. In the last episode we talked about, it's not just about your zip code, uh, your age, income bracket, that that sort of thing. Now, those things are important. There's a lot of social determinants and 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 healthcare, but there's a lot about the context. It's not just the functional; it's the social and emotional needs, and it just gives you this robust. Uh, picture it gives you stories and movies of of your customer uh, that you can dive into to understand how to how to give them real really holistic health care yeah and I want to be the the hard nosed guy on this this episode I think and the fact that again jobs to be done is about action activity and and how you get people to make change about eighty percent of health care spend depending on what study you look at is due to behavioral choices people make, right? I'm not the healthiest guy in the world either, so I fit into that category. If we could find a way to make a system that better addresses people's job to be done and can change their um, actions and create action around being healthier, then as a healthcare industry, we will be much better off, and as a country, we'll actually have a more affordable situation than what we have now. I mean, to me, there is a big meta opportunity here as a country to be able to uh, improve um, our future stake by not having to spend so much when people get sick, but by tr- creating an environment where they're healthier, right? It's not going to be panacea, but if everybody could do a, be a little healthier, then we could stave off a lot of future costs in care and a lot of future um, situations where people's health get in the way of what they want to do in their life. That is an awesome statement from the sen- the senator from South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, well, I think if we don't address start to address health care at that level, then we're really just going to be you know monitoring and working and making changes around the edges rather than making the real change we need. But I'll dial it back a little bit for this for today. Our, our team has spent some time using jobs to be done theory and some of the work that we've done. Uh, here in, in Charlotte with Carolina's healthcare system, what are some of the lessons that we've learned applying jobs to be done theory to our work in healthcare? Well, we started this out um, last year when we, we worked with the Rewired Group and Bob Mesta to um, uncover jobs to be done in the, in the space of uh, on-demand care. So um, we did so- – one, we got great insights from that, and also we kind of learned from the best in terms of how to do it and how to talk to customers and interview. So, you know, we talked about we talked to people who had hired a variety of products like um, Minute Clinic, Primary Care, Urgent Care, Virtual Visits, that sort of thing. All different types of products that could get a customer's job done for low acuity uh, conditions. So again, we we talked to people who had hired hired something, and sometimes fired other things. And uh, uh, you know, we learned the forces of progress, and we uncovered three distinct jobs, and uh, they were uh, really resonant from them. Uh, I think a really quick win we we got out of it is using that in marketing messages we we had our marketing folks uh, on board really early and 
um, and created messages that showed people's progress rather than the features and benefits, uh, you know, showing you everything about the product. It shows you what they they do in their life. So we learned that and we're uh, uh, working a lot on how to really integrate and design a great experience around those three distinct jobs because I think, you know, the historical way of doing things, a lot of standardization, uh, uh, physician practices that kind of treat every everyone the same way. And if we kind of start to ferret out the different jobs, you get a more personalized experience that resonates and really helps people with their progress. Yeah, I think another thing we learned from that on-demand care jobs to be done effort was actually Jay's takeaway in our last episode, which is that when you understand the job to be done, it really broadens your competitive set and makes your addressable market larger. So in addition to people who have on-demand care jobs to be done for which they hire minute clinic or virtual visit or urgent care, et cetera, people are also hiring Sudafed or other over-the-counter medications, or they're hiring their bed. They're just going to sleep it off. So what we referred to as non-consumption in our past podcast on disruptive innovation, they aren't just hiring products and services as we traditionally think of our competitors in healthcare, but they're hiring a variety of different solutions that they believe can get the same job done. They may be hiring mom or the sister who's a nurse practitioner. I mean, you hear yeah. a lot of you millennials hacking, say, you're hacking healthcare. I was going to say, especially if it's a millennial, they probably texted their friend who's a nurse or sent a picture to their sister. Not that I've ever done that. Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing to me on social media how many times somebody will have a uh, healthcare related issue and they'll just post it out there for crowdsourcing information and. That's just sort of become like, you know, I think that's overtaken Dr. Google as the solution set for a lot of folks. But you know, one, one of the things that really um, hit me when we did this on-demand care work, which, you know, having a 25-plus year career in healthcare was was really revolutionary, at least within for me. Two things really came out of it. One is, you know, a kind of duh moment, but healthcare's business model historically has been be all things to all people. And while we can still address a wide range of needs, we've got to define it around that job to be done or around that need if we want people to actually engage in it, right? Just being an open page to say, here, come come to me when you're sick. Well, you know, people even define how sick, you know, their sickness differently. But the second thing that came out of it to me really, too, was that people don't have a job about using healthcare for the most part, right? You know, if it's physical rehab, one of those things. But even then, really, it's an intermediate good. They don't want to buy what we have. They don't even have a job to be healthy because most people can't even define thoroughly what that means. They have a job to live their life. And sometimes things get in the way of that. Last year, I had a shoulder injury that got in the way of what I wanted to do. So I had to hire rehab for that, right? But I wouldn't have gone to rehab otherwise. I wouldn't have gone to rehab even if my shoulder hurt. It was until it limited what I needed to do in life that I, I purchased healthcare, And I think that, that was, that's an important takeaway as somebody, again, who's been in the industry for a while that I've got to remember. People don't want our goods. And even if I make them efficient and I put wait times online and all that other stuff, what people really want is to get on with their life. So how do I help them push through what we have to offer them to get back to their life? And we don't always measure that. We measure a lot of outcomes. We do a lot of press gainy surveys and we... We talk to people about how we did while they were in our facilities. And, and I had a recent uh, bout with a, a little illness and went to urgent care and everything. And it was exactly that. When can I get back to normal? So 
maybe we should be asking people a few days later, are you – are you resuming your normal activities? Right. Is that a is that a field in Cerner? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting too. And when you talk to social workers or even somewhat the, the rehab folks that I talked with, but especially social workers, really talk about activities of daily living. Right? How do you get to those? How do you use those to define progress? But really, outside of that discipline, you're right. We don't have that as a metric of success. And so, um, you know, how do you? Building that in, I think, is important because that's the type of dialogue that patients want to engage around. Yeah, and I think first, I'm going to address what both of you guys said. So first, Jay said that in our current feedback mechanisms, we ask, how were we? But Elizabeth Teisberg, who, um, if our listeners aren't familiar with her, was one of the co-authors of Redefining Healthcare with Michael Porter and is a thought leader now at Dell Medical School in Austin, is famous for saying that... We don't ask, or healthcare, instead of asking, how are you, we ask, how were we? So to Jay's point, we ask people, how did we do when you were in our facility? But really, it's about how are you? How are you, the patient, doing? How are you achieving that progress that you are seeking? How are things in your life? And one of the ways that we're really addressing that how are you question at Carolina's healthcare system is with our new value-based primary care model proactive health. And we are asking patients for their reported outcomes based on their perspective in terms of their life, in terms of um, their value and their delight and their health. But it's not just about how were we when you came to see us? Because really, as Will pointed to, we sell something people don't want. They just want their life. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a really good article that came out recently called uh, Health for Hire, Unleashing Patient Potential to Reduce Chronic Disease Costs. It's by the Christensen Institute and InnoCite. And in that, they sort of define my health reference point being the state of health I believe possible or necessary to make progress in my life, given one, my circumstances, and two, the trade-offs I'm willing to make. So really that's context and then brings in the emotional and social. And I think that's great. As I'm getting a little older... I'm starting to have a different issue on the trade-offs I'm willing to make, right? It is harder for me to keep in shape. It is harder for me to get in shape. I have to adjust what my expectations of my health and how it affects my activity level. You know, I don't run as fast as I used to, unfortunately. And if I keep that as my mindset, I will always be disappointed. And it'll be more difficult for me to make progress because I'll be disappointed and so it's really when I've been able to, to work with proactive health and with the uh, health advocates there to say, I want you to do a little more than you did last week, right? So it's setting a progressive buildup and not saying, like I used to do for myself, you know, I want to run a sub-15 uh, 5K by the end of the year, right? I had trouble doing that when I was younger. I'm not going to do it at all now. And so I just think it's, it's important to um, you know, bring in this jobs-to-be-done language and, and uh, in healthcare, and, and I'm really excited by how we're doing it and the interaction that it creates so that people take more action to improve their own status and their own health. Yeah. The the older I get, the better I was. Yes. I'm I'm starting to experience that as well. That was real good. (laughs) And that is a fantastic report. I think it's one of the deepest dives on jobs to be done and and in healthcare at at the same time. And, And again, they emphasize 
um, progress, not outcomes. And when you're talking about, I haven't seen all the goals that y'all doing in, in proactive health, but what I would imagine, since we're basing it on jobs, it's it's not the traditional outcomes. When you go to the doctor normally, it's like, okay, I want you to uh, lose 10 pounds by this time. I want your A1C measure here by this time. And those are good. We, we need to measure those. We're going to have all types of wearables that Apple will sell us, given our previous podcast, to measure those things. But that's not what people are seeking. People are not really seeking a lower A1C. They don't really understand what that is, but they understand what diabetes is doing in their life and what it's preventing them to do. And I think this type of look, look at it and the way Proactive is setting up up goals is is really tracking what people want to do in their life in an incremental way. What what you've said, yeah, and I, I think one of the keys in healthcare, and again, if we're going to be successful in a value based world, where we're at risk basically for people's health. And if we're at risk for their health, that means we're at risk for their behaviors. Because, again, most health care costs are due to poor behaviors. And uh, so trying to keep a continuous dialogue between provider, team, and patient is important. And being able to have enough information to navigate properly. I used to sail a lot when I was a kid. And I really remember, you know, you're always monitoring wind direction and what it's doing on the sail to make small course corrections along the way. And that's kind of how I like in, you know, today's world. We want to get navigate to a course, but without the right context and the right information, we could take wide tacks whereas we really could make small corrections and still get there. And I think that's where a lot of what I'm starting to see that's progressive and, and looking through the jobs lens is in healthcare is really starting to address. How do we make those small course corrections to uh, really help somebody navigate more readily than somebody who gets two to three data points for their A1C a year, right, or gets their blood pressure only taken when they go to the, the hospital or to a doctor? That's not helping people engage in their health and change their behavior in a meaningful way. And, yeah. and the forces of progress are a great tool to do that. Again, people will adopt a new way when the sum of the pushes and the pulls exceeds the sum of the habits and the anxiety. And in, in healthcare, you know, there's so much habits and anxiety. What can we do to reduce that anxiety? What little pushes, not sledgehammer pushes, what little pushes, what little pulls will help help people change behavior? Yeah, and if, if you don't have the right feedback mechanism, it's hard to make those little changes. You know, if you've got a feedback mechanism that gives you, you know, a uh, you know, data points two or three times a year, it's hard to make that feedback mechanism. So it's only when you're getting that information more regularly can you see the type of course correction you need. I'll give a quick example with my son and his asthma. You know, when he he hasn't he has asthma but it's not bad enough that he has to go to the hospital for it. He never had to at least in the past, thank goodness. But so he would go to his allergist twice a year his asthma specialist twice a year and he'd have two data points on his uh, spirometry and his peak flow. Whereas now, using a, a device that hooks to our smartphone, he gets four data points a day, and it really helps us to navigate when he's starting to have trouble seasonally so that we can intervene before he has trouble. So again, not only is it, it's, it's, 
improving his health, but more importantly, he's not missing out on school. He's not missing out on vacation. He's not missing out on these other things. And trust me, that is a huge motivator that in the past when we said, hey, we want you to not get an infection, that's not a motivator to him. We want you to do this every day so that you can go on vacation, which was a real example that we had this year that he was trending toward a problem that probably would have left him out of the beach. Um, That motivates him now to do this every day. And so it's just great to see how understanding those forces, applying them to the individual, and that's the thing. They've got to be individualized in sort of a mass customization way. But it really creates progress because then the patient owns their condition. Yeah, sounds like a good enough solution that is meeting the job to be done. Good enough is important. Uh, Will, one of your in, in your takeaway, I think it was Will, who um, you mentioned how when you understand the job to be done, you then create experiences that help the customer uh, obtain the progress they're trying to make, and then you have to integrate your experience, your your operations, and integrate around creating creating that. What examples are there, either that we've done internally or other companies, of uh, doing a great job of creating the experiences that nail the job to be done, and how they have integrated their operations and their organization to consistently and sustainably deliver those uh, those experiences. Definitely. So I can talk about how we're working on that in proactive health. So because a big component of this model is consumer centricity and really understanding the customer's job to be done and the progress that they're trying to make, we really started uh, far ahead of practice launch and understanding what the customer's job to be done was. And as a result, we have developed the experiences for the consumer around those jobs to be done. So People may hire the practice for a variety of different jobs, but once we understand what that job is, we can send them down a journey of specific experiences that are tailored to helping them achieve that job to be done. So Will made the comment about partnering with his health advocate to increase his exercise or physical activity a little bit each week. Um, There are some patients who will have that experience and there are others who will have a different first experience. It won't necessarily be with the health advocate depending on what it is that they're trying to achieve. I think there are some players out there um, looking at even more complex chronic disease. Uh, you probably know them more than I, than I Chen Med and, and others. Uh, and I, I think about that uh, because I think about uh, kind of personal experience with family members, kind of multiple chronic disease. And when you talk about integrating experiences, uh, vast majority of experiences in healthcare for folks like that now are really very fragmented. You have a primary care physician, they refer you to different specialists, you, you end up navigating yourself across these different specialists with appointments all over the place and really kind of trying to figure it out on your own. And it's a huge load on not only the patient, but on the caregivers and the folks taking care of that patient. And I think that that's where there's a huge opportunity to use jobs to be done. So I'm kind of interested in our team looking in the future to understand all the forces acting upon uh, folks, you know, who may have, you know, could have di- diabetes, uh, some neurological issues, could be dementia, heart problems, various things uh, conspiring on on the condition, and uh, kind of getting folks uh, 
the the coordinated care they need to get their job done. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, in personal experience, I've seen too where there have been some cases where you might go to a healthcare system or a set of providers, and you need to see multiple providers, and you have to schedule those and navigate those on multiple days at multiple times where you end up telling your story over and over again, maybe not always the same way every time. And then you wait till afterwards for them to coordinate a treatment plan. Some of them are good about at least getting it on the same day or within a couple of days. But then you see some instances, most cancer institutes are this way, but you also see a lot of other systems that may be set up as a type of institute, neurological movement disorder, those sort of things, where they bring the providers together as a group to hear the story once, to ask the questions they need to, and then collectively make a decision then on what treatment is needed. And you know that really is, to me, more around the job-to-be-done focus because when you have that institute model, that coordinated care, that um, tumor board that comes about in, in cancer typically, it is more about, okay, given these conditions, this context, right, it, in tumor boards that I've, I've participated in, it's a different discussion if it's a 73-year-old non-ambulatory person versus a 45-year-old with a lot of activity available to them as to what type of treatment you make. So those contexts and how to get that person back to their life really comes to the forefront. And so there are examples of that even at the acute care, you know, in higher levels of care, but it it's not enough to permeate from start to finish within a healthcare environment. And so that's what's exciting about addressing some of this at on-demand and primary care level is that it, it's where we can get to more people and hopefully get to them in a way that integrates them downstream with uh, specialty care when needed, but also helps provide that context of the individual progress um, in more of their everyday life rather than just when they have these specialty needs. Yeah, and as you were talking, it made me think about a player that we've talked about in prior episodes, Iora Health, and how they're really good, really, really good at understanding the customer job to be done and then delivering or designing experiences around that job to be done in order to help people seek their progress. So two quick examples of where they've done that effectively. In their model, they partner with employers or payers, and they had partnered with a I think construction union, uh, somewhere I won't get all the details of the story exactly right, but in most Iora practices, they offer yoga. But the majority of the participants in this union were males, males who work in construction. So not really your target market for yoga. And what Iora learned by uncovering the job to be done was that if they called yoga hammer time and they had tools in yoga, and basically you're just doing yoga poses with tools, the guys came. And it was all about tailoring it to the progress that they were seeking. Yes, these individuals would benefit from stress reduction, but they weren't going to hire girly yoga to be less stressed. And then a second example of what they've done really well um, was to engage females in getting their pap smears and not something that many females look forward to in any given year, but to increase the number of people doing this preventative test, they had happy hour. So instead of happy hour, and they did um, like wine and cheese, and they made it a social event and made it a lot more comfortable. They created an experience that people were willing to be a part of um, so that they would get these preventative tests done and um, achieve the progress that both the 
employer or the insurer we're looking for, as well as um, helping people uh, know more about their um, yeah. health. The thing about the full forces of progress, how it reduces the anxiety and, and all of that helps exactly. them get, yeah. I think you overcome hit on, those barriers. Yeah. I think you hit on a really key issue there, too, though. In healthcare, if we're going to really address the um, progress people are trying to make, often the progress they're trying to make extends beyond our services. And partnership is going to become important. Um, I just know that uh, personal experience when we've had a school-age kid who's had illness, the goal isn't just to get them healthy, but the goal is to make sure they don't get behind in school. And the progress we're trying to make is make sure they still maintain some social development, right? And so that had to tie in the school systems and the teacher and recess and a lot of different other activities that to really get the progress made. You know, we were able to navigate and bring in together, but in an ideal world, that would be the type of relationships that healthcare would also make. So, you know, people's progress extends way beyond our walls, and we've got to create those partnerships and that engagement to get that uh, sort of integration around the job. Great point. Yeah, and I, I keep coming back to uh, it's more than outcomes, it's progress. So if we understand what that progress is, and it's uh, it's not just those healthcare outcomes. It it could be small things. It's it's like if someone is not mobile and they're they're bedridden, and the real progress is to get back to normal life so that they are uh, out able to go have dinner with their spouse. That's that's a measure of progress. But you might need an interim step in there. It could be okay. Well, let's get out of bed and make sure you can shower that day and that you're mobile. So again, maybe you bring in the physical therapy to help with that and get them involved on helping make those small incremental steps. But again, building into the treatment plan and uh, having the coordinated care to understand what that progress is in real life terms, I think is key. And we wouldn't know that unless we were asking people and learning about what is your job to be done in in this context. Yep. Right. Well, maybe one more question before we get uh, into our takeaway review. Uh, Where else would you like to apply jobs to be done theory in healthcare? Where where are some of the greatest needs or some of the greatest opportunities that jobs to be done could open up a, a big opportunity? Yeah. Earlier in people's lives. So a lot of the work that we've done in terms of understanding the progress people are seeking has been focused on those individuals who may already have a chronic condition or people who are only interacting with us on a transactional basis. But I'd be really interested to uncover those jobs to be done. What do you hire earlier in your life so that you can ensure that you have more life? So whether that's more, not just more years in life, but more life in those years. Yeah, I think that's a great one. I think that, uh, kind of to, to play off of that one a little bit more, that we want to be able to change behaviors by understanding the progress because then by changing those behaviors long enough, they become habits, right? And that's our real goal. So I would love to see where we can get into more of habit change and working with people on a partnership-type basis in order to help them make the progress. Um, I'm going to quote one thing real quickly um, from that Christensen Institute Intersight where I think kind of capsulizes this, this well. Using the theory of jobs to be done, healthcare innovators can bridge this gap by creating health solutions that people have both the will and the capacity to embrace 
and which unleash their potential to manage their health more effectively and independently. Mm. I would like to achieve that in healthcare. Yeah, I think those are great points. And when you think about um, population health and think about what Ann Summers said, is we probably have a lot of folks who we would call non-consumers. They're not uh, really engaging in healthcare. They may actually be purchasing it and paying through their health plan, but they're not uh, really performing any activities uh, and uh, may not have. We just haven't uncovered that that job to be done yet and figure out how to use those forces of progress to get them to engage. And then we find solutions that actually help them achieve that that progress. Yeah. And again, a lot of it is the healthcare industry today is geared toward care. And I think that one advantage will be in the future if we're geared toward health, then we can align better what we provide with the jobs that people have. That's great. Well, let's review our takeaways, then we'll wrap up. So, uh, Jay, uh, hopefully came out pretty clear that this is a great way to have um, the healthcare system and the players, whether you're an insurer or a health system or a physician practice, really focus squarely on the, the consumer rather than the system itself. Terrific. Will? They, uh, once you've got that focus on the consumer, um, integrate your activities around that job and integrate what you provide around that job. And a way that meets the functional, emotional, and social needs of that patient. Great. And last but not least, Ann Summers. And just to tie it all together, when we do focus on the consumer, identify their job, integrate in a way that delivers the experiences that help them to get that job done, then jobs can help us create behavior change in the consumer. And I'm going to tie this back to disruptive innovation theory and some of our previous episodes with a recent Jeff Bezos quote that Will shared with me today, and I'm not going to quote it exactly correctly, but he said something along the lines of, it's not the technology that's disruptive. Only the consumer decides what is disruptive. And the reason that is, is because what the consumer hires or doesn't determines whether or not it's a disruption. Awesome. I feel like we should have left the chair Mike open. Dropped. We should have the fifth chair here for the <laughs> consumer. But we'll nobody knows because they didn't see. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jay, Will, and Summers, this has been a, an enlightening conversation, one that has uh, uh, got me really excited about opportunities in the future for jobs to be done working in healthcare. So thank you all for your comments. Thanks a lot. Enjoyed it. Fun Thanks for having us. Well, parting message to our listeners, thank you. And uh, we hope you continue listening to a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation podcast. We have no plans of stopping, so look for new episodes coming out soon. This is Ben Tingey. Until next time. 